Jesus name amen and praise God amen so we're going to continue talking about the story of salvation but I thought today we talk about Sarah uh, <clears throat> and how Jubilee actually I'm I'm comparing uh, our uh, New Testament salvation to the Old Testament Jubilee uh, which is uh, we talked about that as being a time of uh, restoration of all things a time when all debts are canceled land is returned I mean you got everything in the, the time of Jubilee and so people had a thing that they could look forward to in their lifetime that they could say I'm not going to stay poor forever. I'm not going to stay, uh, you know, a slave forever. There was a time where they could look forward to uh, it, to being released from that in their lifetime. And I think if we look at our salvation, it is very, very, it is equi- uh, the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament Jubilee, which we should look forward to the things of God. We should look forward to being free from bondage, free from debt, free from uh, uh, any kind of oppression, anything that would hinder our life of prosperity. And when I say prosperity, I mean that everything you set your hand to works out well. There's no fail. And I think if there's one thing I can say about living for God, there's no failure there. I think what happens is we lose heart or we lose faith. But you know what? God taught me uh, over the years there would be times when I would quit on certain things or lose my enthusiasm for for that. And God would teach me. He said, I haven't changed my mind about that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I still plan for you to receive those things. And so my spirit would come alive again uh, to hope in God and faith in God and trusting him for things. And so we have to watch ourselves as believers that we don't get into that little stagnant quit mentality about life. I mean it's just not for us. And and so I don't care how long you have to wait for the things that God has for you. uh, They will come to pass. If you hang in there you keep serving God. (laughs) He'll give you everything. Uh, uh, You know I've seen that over the years. I've been blessed to see people that I know uh, continue to just serve God and see those things happen for them. you know sometimes you're you're believing for a reconciliation of a marriage or believing for a spouse to be saved or uh, to have children or have a good career something like that and many times we think it's supposed to happen in six months (laughs) when it doesn't happen in six months then we're ready to give up the ghost so to speak you know we want to just die and and fall out flat and have a fit and you know go do that but after your fit is over come back and encourage yourself in the Lord and believe God some more that's that's all I can tell you because God still has it on his agenda for us I think sometimes what we're doing is we're getting that uh, immature faith out of the way man you see when God we begin we'll see it in this story about Abram and Sarah when God really really it was time for God to really bring that promise in he spoke to Abraham he said walk walk before me and be thou perfect in other words grow up 
Quit whining about everything. Quit doing things your own way. Quit quit, quit turning to your own uh, understanding when you get impatient about things. And I think it's a good thing to keep in mind that God wants to develop so much in us besides giving us things. He wants to develop us in the stature of Christ and in the image of his son. And so I think if we keep that in mind and we have a good understanding that God is not just about the goodies but he's about maturing you he sees you in the same way that he sees his son and if that's true we've got to conform to a certain standard we got to come up a little higher we got to develop we got to improve we got to do all those things and it's not something you do on your own Uh, it's not something you can do by human power you have to let go as they say let go and let God you know let go and let God do what he wants to do in your life but still hold true to him don't ever let go of his hand don't ever let go of your life in God and don't ever let go of what God's put in your life to do as far as ministry is concerned Uh, always be there to help somebody always be there to share Christ with somebody always be there to pray another prayer always be there to do the things that you know are pleasing to God and and God will keep you on his radar he he knows when when it's time for you to receive what he has for you so we're going to talk about Sarah's time of jubilee She's one of those people that waited a long time. Uh, she wasn't really uh, a valued person, I would say, uh, in her life. Um, and it wasn't really her doing. It was just the, the um, I guess you could say, the culture that they lived in and the times that they lived in. She and her husband, Abraham, Abraham was talked talked to God talked to him and told him uh, if he would leave and follow follow God then God would bless him immeasurably and so Abraham uh, listened to that call and began to follow the Lord of course he took his wife with him he took uh, he was told to leave his family actually his father and you know the blood relatives and this is a picture of what God does when uh, he marries two people it's the leave and cleave and so it's leave father and mother cleave to your wife cleave to God and the two of you will be one flesh so God then begins to separate uh, Abraham from ties that would bind him to his old culture got me your old way of living Jesus even said nobody has left father mother sister brother he expects us to disconnect uh, in a a, uh, uh, an ungodly way from people that we have emotional or family ties with God has to come first and he knows what to do to get you disconnected from people (laughs) in our culture people will sometimes turn their backs on us once we're saved now I've had that experience a lot I made up my mind I was going to be the crazy Christian in the family I'd be the nut you know I don't care and call me what they want to call me but I'm following God amen and it's never caused me it it didn't cause me to divorce my husband I've heard people say well they just they just wouldn't uh, they they were hindering me nobody can hinder you from following the almighty God come on now Uh, let's be real here let's quit the quit the lies and quit the deceit but people think it's okay to divorce somebody if they don't think they're 
saved enough. <laughs> it's your job to get them saved. It's your job to live an example. You can't be an example to somebody if you, you constantly reject people. And so that's that's not God. And so we have to understand that when God puts a distance between us. He will do that by his own power. You don't have to distance yourself from anybody. God will do that by his own power. I remember when I was was uh, uh, had a nervous breakdown. I was upset because I had worked with a lot of people in psychiatry, and you know I would call people and tell them I you know I was having trouble, and nobody called me back. <laughs> and I was upset about that, but I because I thought, well, what kind of friends are these? You know, these are supposedly in the helping profession, and there's no help for their own. Blah this, blah that. And I realized that was the best thing that could have happened to me, or I would have been a revolving door psychiatric patient if God had let those people help me. So He allowed me to be disconnected from everything and everybody and then He became my helper. I learned how to trust totally in God. And when I say trust totally, it was almost to the point that I really didn't need any human help. I just knew God would do everything. You know, I had to know that. And so those are things that we must learn as believers. You can't one day depend on God and then you're trying to find out which human is going to help you reaching out to humans and dropping hints about your problems and all that kind of stuff God will stop you from doing that what that if there was one thing I remember growing up as a child is my parents hated for us to ask other people for stuff you know they really really did and uh, you don't like to see your children begging and that's the way God feels he doesn't want you coming to anybody but him and I found that out very early in my walk with God so I don't whine about people you know uh, it just isn't in me I don't look to people for my help and I'm not putting myself above anybody but I'm telling you that God will divorce you from all of that dependence on man and one Wondering what people think about you and why do they treat me like this and they need to they don't treat me right all that nonsense he will divorce you totally from that you know that's where people say you act like you don't need nobody well really to be honest with you I don't I need God now if he brings somebody in my life to assist me and help me that's God doing that but I'm not running after anybody trying to get anything from man trust me folks you understand what I'm saying you know people even people in the church people that want to help help if you don't want to help don't help but I know that God will get done what he promised will get done you know and sometimes he'll shock you the way he does things but he wants us to disconnect from all distractions all dependence on people if God had left Abram with his father he would have been torn between his natural inheritance and his spiritual inheritance and God doesn't want us torn he wants us totally dependent on him God won't tell you to move out somewhere unless he knows he's going to take care of you and that he knows that he can convince you he will take care of you so your jubilee will include freedom to serve God but also an understanding that he will cause relationships to be right you'll have right relationships with people you won't have these dysfunctional enabling uh, relationships you know where 
<laughs> you know, you enabling people to be dependent on man always. He was he's not gonna have that kind of nonsense going on in your life. And that's a good thing. So that's that's the blessing of serving God. So in Leviticus twenty five we went over some of the high points of the Jubilee. That was promised. It came every uh after the forty ninth year, the year of Jubilee came. It was the fiftieth year. And in that year, uh, there was a return to property and family. So that's a restoration of all things. Man, all things. And things get restored to you through your life in the spirit. For us, it would be a position spiritually where we have faith that these things are now available to us again. God restores family relationships. He restores property uh, I know the first few years I was saved, all my family members were saved except for my husband. He was, he was the project. That's what I told God. I said, well, he's my faith project, huh, God? Yeah, it's your faith project. Uh, we're going to have many of them in our lives. Jesus came to bring jubilee to his people as God promised. The restoration, return to property and family. There was no working Every man sees from his own labors. Isn't that what we get in salvation? Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Unburden yourself from the, from the problems that you have. Release concerns to him. Release the problem relationships to him. All of these things we release to the Lord and he restores them. He will bring them back in right order. If you haven't experienced that, just start to, to stretch your faith for that. Say, God, I want to have a right relationship with all of my in-laws, outlaws, kin, cousins, and, and nieces, and nephews nephews and grands and parents uh, he'll do it amen he will do it I thank God for reconciliation uh, better relationship well my parents and I were never we never had a breach in our relationship but it wasn't a healthy relationship Uh, both my parents were kind of dependent and I worried about them. I was always, you know, I, I was the last to leave home because I didn't know how my parents were going to survive without me. You know, that kind of stuff. And it became a burden to me. Uh, and I don't think any of my other siblings felt that. It's just sometimes it falls on certain kids, you know. And uh, as parents, sometimes you have to be careful uh, that, you know, sometimes you'll have concerned, sensitive children. Don't lean on them. Lean on God because they can become overburdened with your burdens. And so I I was able to get our relationship to the point where I knew God would take care of my parents. I just knew it. And that was such a relief to me that I didn't have to be the one concerned about mom and dad all the time. And so when you when you know that you're in your jubilee, you cease from your own labors. You begin to feed on the word of God. You begin to see God's answer for everything. And you seek his answer for everything. I remember as a new Christian I got one of those. I know they still sell them. They're called promise books. Remember those? Where they would have them listed by category. 
You know, there's a promise for worry, a promise for uh, family problems, a promise for this. I stayed in those books because I wanted to know what God could do for me. And so it's good to live in the land of promise where you have hope, you have encouragement, and you have the the, uh, promise of restoration. So that's when you cease from your own labors. Amen. So Jesus, they in, in the year of Jubilee. The year before, there was such a crop that the the nation of Israel didn't worry about how they were going to be fed. They saw that bumper crop coming in the 49th year and they knew that there would be more than enough to sustain them through that 50th year. So they didn't plant, they didn't reap, they had enough laid up where they could freely eat. And they just live by faith. You know that was a, a, a an example of early living by faith. So God told them that land would freely yield enough for them to live off of. You could go back if you lost land because you were broke. Or you had to sell land to survive. Uh, that land was restored to you. You bought it back at a fair price. And that land was given back to you. Uh, they were not allowed to take advantage of one another so God will take care of people who mistreat you got me and we have a lot of history with bad relationships and people that we don't get along with so forth and so on but God rectifies that and he rights every wrong as Christians we shouldn't be going around complaining about people I mean seriously you got other things to do with your faith you need to put faith and confidence in God that that he will not allow injustice to prevail in your life just won't do it he won't do it God provides safety for the obedient during the year of jubilee you obey God and you dwell in safety that's always true the year before the year of Jubilee we said it was a, a year of the bumper crop and it signals the beginning of your rest. The Israelite would look out at his land and say well there's no need for me to go out and sow and plant. I got enough coming in. Now you know there's some people who want to cheat. Always some people want to cheat just like we do sometimes. We want to store up a little extra just so we don't have to worry. You know, I'm sure there were some people that tried to go out and work their field anyway. Thinking, oh yeah, this is going to run out. When it runs out, guess where I'll be? I'll be able to sell to people and get rich. You know, understand what I'm saying? There's no get rich quick schemes in God's kingdom. Amen. None of that kind of nonsense. He doesn't allow it. Poverty ends in the year of Jubilee. Amen. It's over as far as God is concerned. So poverty in your life has ended when you got saved. That blood redeemed you. It brought you back into your rightful inheritance. Amen. And that inheritance can only be found in God. You you got to talk to God and find out what he has in store for you. You can't borrow somebody else's promise. You got to get your own. Amen. And I think if, if there's in there see there's no covetousness in salvation and in jubilee you don't have to desire what belongs to another people person because your heart is so filled with what god has for you 
And so God will allow us to grow in him and grow in understanding. And as we walk with him we begin to trust in him even more and more. And that's really where where we uh, can begin our story with Abram and Sarah. They are in the land of I think it was uh, uh, Ur. You are Ur of the Chaldeans, and so Abraham was what they call a, a, a you know a nature worshiper type person. Uh, they worshipped all kinds of gods. If they thought the river was the god, they worshipped the river. If they thought the sun was a god, they worshipped the sun. And then one day, the one true and living God, the creator of all things, spoke to him. And from that time on, he was never the same. And so in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 5. Well, in verse 1, we get a picture of what is promised to Abraham. Man, what is promised to him? The Lord said to him, get out of your country, from your kindred, from your father's house. To a land I will show you. So what he's doing is what we do when we get saved. When you get saved you ask Jesus to come in your heart and you renounce your old life. You don't want that anymore. And so that's what's necessary in order to come into covenant with God. There has to be a leaving behind of the old and an embracing of the new. Even though we don't know everything that the new entails we learn as we go. That's why God's forgiving. See, He knows he, we are all learning as we go. Amen. We're the ones who put pressure on us, you know, to do everything right all the time and never have any problems. That's religion. That's some crazy idea that comes to us when we get bored thinking about whatever you know you go mindless for a minute and you start criticizing yourself about you know what you don't do right and this isn't right and really and God's teaching us as we go God looks down at you and says I don't know what you're complaining about there's nothing wrong with you all you got to do is trust in what I've done for you and embrace it and go on with it amen so stop being so hard on yourself Stop criticizing yourself about every little thing. You make a mistake, you go and tell God about it and, and ask his forgiveness. Be humble about it. Don't try to be cool, you know, like you and God is right here like this. You humble yourself to him all the time and he'll help you. Man, he will help you. I think one of the things that we've, we've gone astray in in Christianity is this, there's this like faith attitude or, or word of faith or charismatic attitude people carry where God's their buddy. I call him daddy and that's fine. But you better be humble to him. You better respect him. Now if daddy is respectful between you and God, that's fine. But don't try to get cool and uh, you know what, see with me it's like this. Don't be trying to be different just chill out amen you know and thank God he's not mad at you for real you know one one speck from God can annihilate a whole <laughs> nation of people you know you've seen it in the Bible so just be respectful be be respectful of the blood that's shed for you be respectful of the life that was given in exchange for your life think about those things when you mess up think about what Jesus endured for you and that will humble you in a, in a New York minute you, you get it you'll get it 
And so God wants us to always come to him. He's always there for us. But he wants us to know also that, that he is a forgiving God. Uh, he's not expecting. If there's anything that we can learn from the patriarchs in the Bible. It's that God is forgiving. You know, uh, I remember Brother Cirillo, uh, I don't know where, what kind of changes he was going through, but he said he's talking to God. He told him, he said, God, he said, uh, I, I wanna, I wanna be like Moses. And, you know, he kept naming different people in the Bible, and I guess he was feeling like, not so adequate or something like that you know you feel small sometimes he's complaining to God and and he said wait Moses what do you want to be like Moses what a murderer and brother Cirilla said oh (laughs) everybody he named had some fault that God and see this was because he was looking at his own faults comparing himself to people he thought were so great but he realized what God was telling him was these people depended on me for their help and not for being perfect in everything all the time so cut it out give yourself cut yourself some slack but be but be humble about it you know don't ever take what Jesus did for granted don't play it small but acknowledge it you know on a continual basis acknowledge the blood of Jesus acknowledge his goodness towards you acknowledge these things and then you can stand tall before God you know you can stand just like his son does in his presence and that's the great thing if you if you bring yourself down low he will exalt you at the at the right time and so that's that's the good thing about God it's a good thing about him so Abraham gets a promise from God he tells him if he'll leave he'll I'll show you the land that will take you to he says I'll make you a great nation I'll bless you, make your name great, you'll be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now of course when Abraham, uh, as Abraham proceeds in life, he forgets some of the good blessings. You know because he acts in a way that makes you think that he's not blessed. He begins to return to leaning on his own understanding about things. And this is something that we all do. And we have to learn that doesn't cancel your salvation. That doesn't cancel God's plan. That doesn't cancel anything. It just makes God know that you know God wants to see you pick up and keep going. He doesn't want to see you uh, languishing in in doubt and unbelief. And so Abraham then is is on his way and and he's uh, following God as best he knows how. It says Abraham departed as the Lord spoke to him and Lot went with him. Abraham was seventy five years old when he left. So many people might think that's the end of life but for him it was just the beginning. Whenever you find God it's just the beginning folks. I don't care <laughs> I don't care how old you are. You're beginning. Amen. You're beginning. And so he took Sarah's wife, Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. In other words, he had some servants. He had some he was, you know, a, a wealthy man already, you know, uh because later on in the Bible it says God made Abram very rich. So it's understood that he was rich already. 
But God upped it. See God will never give you less than what you can get on your own. Well some of you believe it. Some of you don't. But he doesn't diminish you. He increases you. He never gives you less. He will never pay you less than the devil does. That's what Fred Price used to say. <laughs> Amen. He always increases. His, it is his intent to increase you. It is his intent to prosper you. It is his intent to restore you. Period. And that's what we know about God. So uh, um Abraham then sets off with with his wife, and then uh, then they go through a land, and uh, there's a, um, a famine there. And in chapter twelve, verse ten, it says he's going down to Egypt to stay there for a little while, and that's what what he's doing now God didn't tell him to go there's no evidence God said go there's no evidence God said okay so here we are he runs into his challenge uh, with the instructions that God has given him and he embarks on a uh, a sojourn in Egypt which is probably what many people who lived in that land did so he probably gets involved in a, a mass uh, exodus out of the land of, of Haran and over into the land of Egypt. And in verse 11 it says it came to pass when he was come near to Egypt. He told Sarah his wife he said look now you're a beautiful woman to look upon. And it will come to pass when the Egyptians see you they will say this is his wife and they will kill me but they will save you alive. And he says now I have a better plan. I have a plan where we both will be able to live. You just have to pretend to be my sister instead of my wife. And so they, she of course agrees. You know, she's dependent on her husband. Hebrew culture was that way. In fact, the culture of many nations was that way because life was so hard. You know, uh, the the wife had to stay in the home because the children needed to be reared. Now, Abram and Sarah had no children, but it was still customary for the wife not to get involved too much in day to day life. Now, you'll find Hebrew. Culture was a lot more advanced than most of the cultures around them because often wives would play a major role in managing the household. They would manage the household finance, household provision. They were like the managers of the household and the man just went out and brought provision there and just left it right there. She knew what to do with it and taking care of things. So it wasn't like women were helpless dependent but their skills had to be used appropriately and because they had to be around for the care of the children they were also entrusted with the total care of the household you saw that with Abigail Nabal's wife he was a herdsman and would be gone many many days from the household and she was there to manage things she made sure uh, all the provision was distributed properly she had account and she had servants under her uh, who were, were answerable to her so you saw many many women in Hebrew culture, culture who were very capable managers 
Amen. Very capable managers. You'll see that sometimes in households. A lot of households, women are much more uh, um, uh, inclined uh, to be able to manage a household budget with a lot more dexterity than a man is. You see what I'm saying? It's just a skill that that we have because we have responsibility uh, for that whole realm. Uh, I think some of that's being lost uh, in the women's lib movement where nobody's really caring from the, for the home anymore. And uh, it's just not right. The children get scattered. See there's no covering and protection for children sometimes. And so the children will wind up either being lured away, seduced away, or kidnapped. Or you get parents fighting over custody of their children. It's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But, but I can remember a time when I was growing up. We had, we, if you had 15 families in your neighborhood real close, you had 15 sets of parents, especially moms. You know, dads wouldn't get too involved, but the mothers, uh, you know, where are you going? Now you better turn around and go back home. You, you don't go this far. You, your mom probably won't like you going here. And you obeyed them. You turned around. You didn't mouth off at some adult. It just wasn't tolerated. And so we we need to have more oversight and more help for families. Nowadays you don't even know who's living next to you. You're scared to go over there and say hello, you know, because you, you know, we live such separated lives. And so, uh, you know, it, it's not healthy. It's not good. You should know your neighbors. You're responsible for your neighbors, scripturally speaking. And so it's, it's always a good thing to know, know those people. And so Abram and Sarah, they go down to Egypt. Sarah, of course, agrees to this. She has no choice. You know, she's submitted to her husband. And so they go down there, and so she gets to be the talk of Egypt, man, because she's so beautiful. And so the uh, princes of Pharaoh uh, come and spy her out, and they find out that she's single. And they take her into Pharaoh, and verse 17 says, uh, it says, verse 16 says, uh, that Pharaoh gave Abraham a lot of stuff in exchange for her. Man, so it's like pimp your wife. You know, so Abraham takes it. So not only does Abraham leave his, his homeland wealth with much goods and much servants he gets more when he goes down into Egypt God says I will bless those who bless you I will bless you and you will be a blessing so the blessings on this man I don't care what happens now a lot of people think that that's not true but I can tell you it is true when you are blessed you uh, blessings follow you you just have a trail of increase you have a trail of prosperity you have a trail of stuff (laughs) you know for lack of a better term because that blessing is on you I don't care if you uh, you know you can cheat the rules sometimes and step out and do something and then all of a sudden bam there it is the blessing just falls on you and so but God is the manager of it all now he's not going to let you get involved in anything shady 
But he gives us a little freedom to do what it is in our hearts to do in order to get our increase. And so you don't have to sit around and pray for six months to find out if God wants you to take a certain job. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, God is free in the way oftentimes he allows us to prosper. And Abraham doesn't know any better. He's just in survival mode. And so as as being in survival mode, he's doing some things that God doesn't necessarily approve of, but God looks at him mercifully and Abraham acquires all of the stuff. You notice when they leave Egypt, God doesn't say, well, I don't want you taking nothing from nobody. Get that stuff back. He never told him that. But God intervenes. To straighten this situation out. In verse 17. The Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Because of uh, Sarah Abraham's wife. Now heathens are smarter sometimes than believers. Pharaoh got no sense to know something's wrong somewhere. Now we were living good until this man and his wife showed up. And oftentimes that's how you were known. As as one who served God. Something negative <laughs> happened to people. I can remember people would say uh, things like. Well I don't know when I'm around you. I just feel I feel uh, scared. Or I feel whatever whatever. Guilty or something like that. And I said well that's not me. That's God's spirit. I said why don't we pray. Whatever it is that concerns you. We'll pray about it. And we'll let God handle it. I said he's just telling you that he loves you. And he wants to do something for you. you. You know it's not me it's God. And so we have to understand those things. That his presence goes with us everywhere we go. And you can't control it. You can't not be saved and make the Holy Spirit let you feel comfortable or let certain people. He's separating. (laughs) You know, we got to get the hang of this Christian life, folks. He's separating you out from certain people. If they don't feel comfortable, that's for them to separate and part ways. Don't get so attached to people you take it personally. You got me? Just cut it out. (laughs) So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me this was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? Now how how did Pharaoh know Sarah was Abram's wife? God told him. Well, absolutely. You don't think heathens can hear from God? God knows how to reach everybody, folks. Now, they don't have a covenant where they can depend on him or anything like that, but he can make himself known to folk. And why? And he says, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So Abram thought he needed to be in Egypt. And he found out he didn't. This is a very important lesson folks. When we start trying to find our own way because of pressure. Because of God will show us. Now see you went down there for nothing. Because that man wouldn't even let you stay down there. You see what I'm saying? Where are you now Abraham? You're back depending on me right? So let's get over here and get to getting. God didn't punish him. God didn't you know rebuke him. God probably you know let him know. I'm still going to take care of you Abraham. Just get back on the road again. And I think that's what we need to understand about repentance. And confessing your sins. You do wrong you say it. 
You know, you say it to God and tell him you're sorry and get your forgiveness so that you can see clearly to walk before him again. This this not wanting to to say you did wrong is just wrong for Christians. Now we got to get over our pride about these kinds of things. You know, I'll have people you know want to argue for three days about well I didn't mean it and it, well it's it's going to work out and it's telling it all these you know platitude phrases they do to cover up their wrongdoing. That wrong is still there. And it's still going to be waiting for you to pick you up and guide you to the next mistake you're going to make. If you don't understand what God has provided for you. He's not trying to tell you you're wrong for the sake of just leaving you in it. He tells you to admit you're wrong so he can pull you out of it and you don't have to wind up there all the time. Repeat mistakes come from lack of humility and repentance. You just keep keep doing the same thing over and over again because you never go to God and tell him, God, this is a problem for me. And I want to stop it. I don't want to keep being the, the church mess up or, you know, the one everybody has to correct all the time. I want to be the person who could correct myself before you. Isn't that a lot better? Privately between you and God, you can confess every wrongdoing you ever do. And he'll help you. He'll strengthen you to walk on in a better way. It's, it's wonderful. When you have a life with God that's pleasing to him, that's the best life you can ever have. So God had already promised Abraham that he would lead him, that he would guide him. Sojourning, of course, when you go to a foreign land, it's a dangerous thing. So Abraham forgot that God had told him he would bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. And so when he got down there, he started playing his little tricks, you know, pimp thy wife shenanigans and, and God didn't approve of it and he let him know. So right then God was instructing Abraham to honor his wife. Amen. And that's one thing that was missing from his upbringing. You know because Sarah was barren she wasn't valued very much. Abraham knew. Now if, if Sarah were fertile he probably would have thought twice about letting some other man have her. But he says eh, you know she's eh, devalue value this is a good story for women in this age who seem to be devalued in a lot of situations you know the more women fight for rights the less value they seem to bring into their lives somehow you know uh, because many women feel devalued because you know they can't get somebody to to marry them they can't get a man to commit uh, you know when they do commit you know it's just struggle after struggle after struggle all that kind of stuff and it's very easy for women to feel devalued you've got many many women out here with uh, uh, children out of wedlock uh, that makes you feel devalued I don't care what they tell you about we're living in a new time and you know all, people don't change sin doesn't change sin always brings you lower in value and so we need to recognize that and so if if you're waiting for God to bring somebody into your life keep waiting keep waiting in dignity shake off the past if you've got a past if it's a new day this is your jubilee you can walk in the newness of what God has ordained for your life just make sure that you pray and you expect God to bring that person if you expect God to bring somebody 
tell God you want to be prepared to meet that person when they come into your life. You know, don't be sitting around and thinking you're just waiting, waiting. Serve him. You know, give your best to God. Let him have the years of your singleness. Let give give one hundred fifty percent. God, I'm sowing this for my future spouse, husband or wife. I'm sowing this labor into your kingdom. Watch this labor and reward me for it. I need to to be married and I want to be married. And prepare me for that. And so, you know, just let God do this. Let him do it and he'll do it. Don't get discouraged and don't, you know, want to branch off and do your own thing. It's not right. So you you know, you just trust God and he'll bring it to pass. So Abram and Sarah they leave Egypt. He's very rich. That's in Genesis thirteen, verse two. So he's wealthy when he left Ur of the Chaldees, very rich now. God tends to call people into service that are accomplished in some way. You know, some kind of strength that that some diligence that they've acquired. And uh, in, in if if that hasn't happened, he will will oftentimes allow you uh, to start developing yourself. But there has to be a value there that he sees that you renounce and pick up Christ. The timing has to be right. That's why a lot of times we want to see people saved so bad and it takes them a long time. The timing isn't right. Uh, as far as what God wants that person to to place a high value on his kingdom. And what he's stepping into uh, when he steps into God's kingdom. Now God saves people from the gutter to the utter or whatever, whatever. Whatever condition they're in, God will save them out of that condition. But often Oftentimes he will save people, especially people who are called the leadership. He will save people who are very, very accomplished and they have to renounce something. You know, something has to, a sacrifice has to be made. You got me? Just let that go. I know we will pray for people and we wonder why they never come to church. And it's because they value out there too much. You got me? And they're not willing to let go of it. They haven't come to the end of their life out there so that they can really make a firm commitment to God. But it's good to to share Christ with everybody because you never know who's in that state where they're willing to renounce that life and pick up the life of Christ. Never tell people they don't have to give up anything for God because that's what's usually holding them up. They like out there. They like that. People have enough sense on their own to know they can't continue to sin after after they find the Lord. So I don't know. Christians, we're funny people sometimes. We'll be living the life right and then tell people they don't have to. You know, I mean, it's just kind of nonsense sometimes. We don't have to compromise uh, to to win people to Christ. He wants them wholly committed to him. He doesn't want to have to fight them for the world any longer. He wants them to let go of that thing and come into. So you'll see that in every story of salvation from Genesis on up. That people left when Paul went and preached in Corinth and he got all those people who were involved in witchcraft. They had the biggest bonfire that city had ever had. Those people burned all their, their arts and crafts and they were making a living off of that stuff. So they burned up their living in order to receive the Lord. Why? Because the apostles told them they had to. You can't take that stuff into the kingdom. Are you kidding me? 
You go in uh, empty handed (laughs) and God fills it up when you get in there. So we see Abraham distancing himself from Sarah his wife when he gets into trouble. And you know it's people get selfish when they are in fear. And so God has to heal Abraham from that. And so they go on in Genesis uh, 13. We see uh, God showing Abraham the promised land. And many offspring that he's going to give him. Genesis 13:14. He tells him the Lord said to Abraham after Lot was separated from him. Lift up your eyes now and look. And you'll see it. So the more Abraham lets go of, the more God gives him. You see that? He clung to Lot like he was his son. So here he has like a substitute son going along with him. Well, if you've got a substitute, you're not going to be that anxious for the real stuff. You understand what I'm saying? This is just true. It's like people who are living together. And they get saved. You can't keep living together. You got to separate, do something, get married. You know, and 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 it's hard for some people. You know, it really is. And some people comes to a automatic. We can't do this anymore. You understand what I'm saying? People get really saved. Fornication isn't comfortable to them anymore. You understand what I'm saying? It, it really isn't. They just don't feel that that's the right thing to do. Some of them quit doing it, and you don't have to tell them. And so we we need to understand that God will not have you clinging to the false when the real is for you. He has something real for you. So many times things get, you know, leave our lives and we're all upset about it. And God has something real. You know, what it was that you had was not real. <laughs> it was false. So he has the real for us. So he tells uh, Abram, he said, you're going to have so many kids, you're not going to be able to count them. And Abram's thinking, what? Really? <laughs> Lot's gone. But Lot had to leave before Abram could see what God had for him. Men, relationships sometimes can blur your perception and your vision of what God has for you. And you start thinking about, well, what am I going to do about them, and how that, how's that going to work? Let God handle that stuff. We have to trust God. Amen. Uh, in verse nineteen, we see. Let me see. Oh, okay, that was in the the last chapter. I'm sorry. Uh, Genesis fourteen twenty. If you go over there, and this is after. Lot and Abraham had separated. This is a very important thing for Abram to see. Abram gets involved in this war uh, or challenge because Lot has been kidnapped by some heathens. And he either is going to let his uh, nephew stay over there or he's going to go help him out. And this is a picture of your call to intercession as a believer. When you're first saved, God will separate you from a lot of people, but they don't leave your heart. Got me? You still love them in your heart. You still want to see them saved. So that's your your note. Pray for these people. So this is a picture of intercession on Lot's behalf to spare his life when Abraham goes over and fights this battle to get him released. And Genesis 14.20 it says here that uh, 
Abraham, verse 17, it says, The king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorolamur and of the kings that were with him, the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God and blessed him, blessed Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed the Most High God, which had delivered thine enemies into thine hand and gave him tithes of all and the king of Sodom said to Abraham give me the persons and take the goods to yourself and Abraham said to the king of Sodom I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord the most high the possessor of heaven and earth in other words I have sworn to the God that I serve that I will not take anything from a man that so that no man can say they made me rich so Abraham then renounces the wealth he renounces covetousness he isn't jealous of what another man possesses he proved that when he and Lot separated and he told Lot to take the best land that he saw so little by little Abraham is learning to be more and more dependent upon God and that's what God wants in our year jubilee it won't work unless we're looking to God for everything. You can't look to man for anything. You can't depend on man for anything. You have to look to God for everything and God will supply. Little by little we'll get accustomed to it and after a while you get to enjoy it. It gets to be like Christmas every day with God if you'll let it shake out that way. God is so much for us. His company, his presence is a great blessing. You know, you could sit in the presence of God all day long and never want for anything. You know, don't let your mind get all twisted and wandering onto lack. Let it get filled with the fullness of God because God sure has so much for us, folks. He has so much for us. So in Genesis 16:2 we see another test that comes upon us. Now in this in this war Abraham found out that God would protect him and fight for him. So his days of running down to Egypt and playing games should be over. I say should be. Amen. <laughs> it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, I guess. But in Genesis 16.2 we see Abraham is now they're getting restless. They're wealthy, very rich. Got lots of herds of sheep and cattle and servants and all that kind of stuff. So they're in a place where we have to be careful about this as believers. Sometimes you're in a place of boredom in your mind. And that can be broken easily through uh, uh, talking to God. God, what's the next step? What's the next challenge? It seems that I'm not real challenged in my life or something like that. Uh, Talk to God about these periods of time because I believe Abram and Sarah, there was an answer for them all the time. But they sought their own answer during this period of time. So they begin to conspire to get the promise of God through natural means. And what we do it every single time. We get impatient for God to do something for us. And then we start to think up ways to get it ourselves. Amen. And so uh, in verse 1, 16.1, Sarah Abram's wife bare him no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Agar. 
Sarah said to Abram behold now the Lord has restrained me from bearing I pray thee go into my maid that it may be that uh, we'll be able to obtain children by her and so Abram listened to her right hard decision whatever but anyway that was very common during that time in fact many times wealthy men would take concubines just so they would have many children children were always a sign of prosperity and favor and so if in as they had many children they raised up many people to serve uh, to serve in the land you could build an army out of a large family there were a lot of pluses on the natural side to having many children and so he went into Hagar and she conceived and when uh, Sarah saw that she conceived you know she the Hagar started being mean to Sarah Sarah threw her out of the house because that just does not work but the wife is always in charge amen the wife has that position it's not it would not have been right for Abram to allow uh, Hagar to lord it over Sarah and so when uh, verse 4 it says uh, I'm sorry uh, verse 5 Sarah said my wrong be upon me I've given my maid to your bosom and when she saw that she had conceived I was despised in her eyes the Lord judged between me and thee so Sarah repents real quick there's a blessing in being quick to repent you got me she said I thought this was going to work and I see it doesn't don't keep Ishmael on life support forever in your pride not want to admit it's wrong you know just you know this is wrong now this ain't turning out like I thought it was going to Abram said to Sarah she's your maid she's in your hand do whatever you want to do and so Sarah dealt hardly with her and she fled from her but the angel of the Lord brought her back and told her that that uh, she would she would um, uh, um, go ahead and have the son she go back and serve Sarah it was going to be all right and so God made peace with them during a very hard time but that's not the end of the story for Sarah or Abram he God still has a promise for them and God is still going to make good on that promise it's good to understand that we can make mistakes we can set out to do what we think is the right thing to do the, the Abram and Sarah are not doing this maliciously they're not trying to disobey God they're just impatient <laughs> you know for God to bless them now I used to be hard on myself and hard on others if they got impatient but I understand it you understand what I'm saying I do understand it and I know it can be fixed amen God has a fix for all of it sometimes the fix is kind of tough too but God will see you through the tough fix amen and so uh in they they get Ishmael into the house and God tells Hagar to go back to Sarah Sarah lives with this constant reminder of her barrenness for 12 years so when when Jubilee comes to Sarah it's to restore a lot of things in her life number one it restores her position as a valued wife men 
God will restore your position. If you have had a husband that didn't treat you right or, or said mean things to you, criticized you openly, God will shut his mouth and restore you to dignity as a valued wife. All you got to do is serve God because it's not right. And people do it anyway. They do it in their, their, uh, um, anger and frustration you know you don't have to psychoanalyze your spouse you know they just ain't doing right you understand but God will help that and you're you're not dependent on them to do you right to be happy you got to find that out too you must find that out you can't be the kind of person who's not happy in life unless you get something quit the tantrum man Take the pacifier out of your mouth and get to praying and get to worshiping God and get thanking God for the greatness that he's bringing into your life. Now I'll hear women say stuff like, well, uh, you know, my husband and I, we go everywhere together. I didn't have that privilege. My husband wouldn't go nowhere with me, nowhere spiritual, you know. Uh, you guys didn't see him the first ten years, I would say. But people in Cleveland remember. You saw him after he started serving God, little bit by little bit. You know, some people are slow to come in. Now, you can kick and scream and, God, you promised me I was going to have a husband and then worship beside me in church you don't need that when you in church you shouldn't be cognizant of who's sitting beside you you need to focus on God you're just doing that so you can look good in front of people let's get real here because I have seen a lot of them artificial prop husbands sitting up in church and they no more love God than that carpet does you understand what I'm saying? It's all for show for some people. Don't be a show person. Be a real person. Okay? Love that person. Love them with all your heart. Expect God to heal them, to help them, to get them to grow in Him. All of those things. But don't be so uh, appearance driven in these kinds of things. It's not worth it. So, uh, Abram and Sarah, now they're stuck with Ishmael in the house. But then God appears again. Verse 17, he shows up again. And this is the beginning of their jubilee. This is the beginning of their covenant with God where Abram and Sarah come into a greater knowledge of God they're being drawn in and drawn in and drawn in little by little now by now it's at least 13 years or more they've been walking with God because Ishmael's 13 and but they had walked with God some years prior to that so we might be up to 20 years and God promised them way back then and they don't have it yet all I'm saying to you is a 20 year wait is nothing to God and it should be nothing to you the more nothing you can make time the better off you're going to be the happier you're going to be because when you come into your your season it's well worth it amen it's it's well worth it it's well worth it praise God Mr. Gary you know God couldn't have brought you a wife before because she wasn't free to be your wife but God knew what was happening down the line and when her heart would be ready to be married again so we have to trust God that it's worth the wait amen you too it's worth the wait isn't it Miss Karen didn't think she'd get married again but that's you know what I'm saying you can't be God's planning 
He can wake you up to something, a reality overnight, and you embrace it and accept it, and you're on a different road totally. You know, so you thought you'd be in Florida forever, didn't you? You didn't see yourself coming into no cold weather, but here you are. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all that stuff. But God will flip you around so quick and change your heart and change your mind. It'll shock you what God will really do to change you when you get that changing. Amen. Mr. Gary's always wanted a wife to worship God with him, and now he has one. Amen. He was faithful to tell his wife, his first wife, everything she needed to know about the Lord. Amen. And pray for her. God healed, gave Miss Dorothy many miracles, and you just have to be faithful, folks, because God will come through for you. He will come through for you, Amen. He just will. So I'm blessed to be able to see that happen in people's lives. It blesses me to see people get blessed by God, because then that encourages my faith as well, Amen. It's a good thing. So salvation then visits Abram's family in the form of circumcision God tells Abraham that uh, it's time to walk before him and be perfect 17 verse 1 that means straighten up Abraham quit the old shenanigans no more tricks the old ways are not going to work for you anymore I want you to do things a new way and so and he says I'll make my covenant between me and you and I'll multiply you exceedingly. And so God says, I'm going to make this thing sure. I'm going to get you into a place where you're mature in my love and you trust me and you believe me. You know, our lack of faith is not our problem to solve. If we would just know that. It really isn't. It's God's, it's God's problem. To solve, he must get you to a place when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. They knew it was Jesus' job to teach them how to be faithful people. You can't manufacture faith, and you can't play the word all day long and force it into your spirit. The door has to be open to you. Now listen. All day long and the word helps you. It helps me. It's helped me many times in my life. But I can no more see a promise in the Bible and say oh I'm going to get faith for that. I'm going to listen. I'm going to put yourself in your own program. Because faith is developed we know through opposition. And you're not doing any opposition. God is the one who provides the opposition to your faith so that you, it can be tested. So it's, it's not a one man show. You can't sneak up on God and take something from him. He says, Abram fell on his face and God talked to him. He said, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of me. My covenant is with you already. He says, I told you this before, it's still with you, but I'm going to do something here that's going to bump you up in your faith. And he says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you and your seed, and it will be an everlasting covenant. So he begins to expand on it. I will give you and your seed after you the land wherein you are a stranger. In other words, God is going to do for us new things. You you will go places and you'll possess for God where you've never been before. He's expanding your territory. 
And he says, and God says, and I will give you the land where you are in a stranger in all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God said to Abram, you shall keep my covenant therefore you and your seed after you and their generations. This is my covenant which you'll keep that you will be circumcised. Every man in your household will be circumcised. And he says, and he that is eight days old will be circumcised. All your children, those born in your household, <clears throat> anybody that, that any of your servants or slaves. He says, all of them are going to come under my covenant and my authority. And so here we see a situation where not only the seed of Abram, but he's gathering seeds from other nations and other tribes and other places and that's a picture of how we invite people into covenant with God and he tells he says now I'm going to change your name you're not going to be Abram anymore you you are are Abraham the son of God amen he puts his name on them just like we are Christians we have somebody says what really I'm a Christian I belong to, I'm born again. I belong to, you have a new name. And that is Christian, <laughs> so and so. I see, uh, in, in some cultures, it's, it's common to take on a new name, uh, as your, uh, as your born again. And I'll see people on, on uh, Facebook and they'll say, uh, um, uh, oh jeez there was one name that I thought it was so cute um, oh gee blessed forever so and so and that's their first name and then they put their last name on there you know that kind of thing uh, in, in other names you know that they'll just pick a name out of the bible that really blesses them and they just change their name that's their first name now and their last name comes and so there's some people who are very covenant minded and very easy to uh, step into that new place of always reminding themselves they belong to God. Whenever Abraham said his new name, he reminded himself that he belonged to God. And so God t- tells Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 15, As for Sarai, your wife, she shall not be called Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her. Give you a son from her. I will bless her. She will be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come. And this is a woman who had been barren all her life. And suddenly God takes away her barrenness. Gives her a child. Removes her reproach. Where it re- and elevates her before the eyes of her servant Hagar. Because Hagar was able to put her down because she didn't have a son and and Hagar did. And so now God vindicates her right in front of her enemies. He makes that mistake. See you can't tell me that God doesn't restore us completely when we make mistakes in life. I'll see people go through life feeling guilty about one thing they did when they were young before they knew the Lord. and, And never get over it. And I said but God restores everything. You know, he, he takes that and he removes it and he'll give you that thing that you desired even though you goofed it up so many times trying to do it the right way. And so it, there's nothing God won't do in restoring us. He knows your heart. He knows what you desire. And he knows he can forgive you and restore to you that which you desire. 
And so Abraham said to God, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 16, I'll bless her, give her a son. I'll bless her, she'll be, kings will come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that's a hundred and Sarah that's ninety-nine years. Well, you know, hey, you was in your 80s already when you had that last kid. You didn't laugh then. Don't laugh on Sarah. See, you can see he's accustomed to not valuing her very much. God corrects that. He corrects that. I mean, anybody that feels like your spouse don't care enough about you, God hears that. He knows it and he will correct it. You know, we need to get more with God and find out that he values us and you won't let people drag you down what they think about you drag you anywhere he says as for ishmael i have heard you behold i blessed him and will make him fruitful multiply him exceedingly 12 princes he will beget and i'll make him a great nation but my covenant i'll establish man there's an intended family and there's a false family people need to know what's intended by God for them. Don't go around gathering people just to, you know, as substitutes to say you got something so you don't have to feel so left out and lonely. Get your real thing that God has for him. So Abraham took his kid and circumcised everybody. Abraham was 99. Ishmael, his son, was 13. And, and uh, he circumcised everybody in that house. Then in chapter 18 we see the date set for Sarah to bear her children or her child. And so we see Abraham having a covenant meal with some men. And we know that that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming to visit him. The Bible is referred to as a theophany. It's a picture of God coming in human flesh. And so Abraham sits and has a covenant meal with them. And so in verse 10 it says here of 18 verse 10. Abraham and he said I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door and was behind these men. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. Well they were that when we started this journey. Amen. And so it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women, so she was no longer fertile. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure my Lord being old also. The Lord said to Abram, wherefore Sarah did laugh, saying, surely shall I of a surety bear a child which am old, is there anything too hard for God? So what God is saying here, you can laugh if you want to, but I've already established that. See, Laughing unbelief does not cancel what God's going to do he knows how to bring your faith up to speed you understand me Uh, this God's job to help us with you know these faith people make everything so hard they get so into work so quickly if you understood God's heart at all you would see that if he promised you something he promises you the faith to see it through you're not just sitting here in unbelief resist I'm just resisting God in my unbelief and I'm making it hard you're not doing that if we would just get a picture if he told you he's going to do it 
He's going to do it. He don't need your help. He don't need your advice. He don't need your hyped up faith. <laughs> Confessing 15 times a day. Oh. You know now. Do what you need to do to get close to God. Do what you need to do that you know works. I'll put it that way. Don't follow somebody else's formula. For getting close to God. You know if you know you need to, to get away from the TV. And you need to sit there and silence. And you know open your Bible and read some Bible. Or worship God. and Or if you just need to get, worship him and be thankful. Just a time of thanksgiving. Do what you need to do to get close to him. So you can hear his voice. But you're not working up your faith. But you better fight unbelief. When them doubts come to your mind. Now that's your job. Cast that stuff down. Don't be sitting up listening to that stuff. You know when, when, when we go out witnessing. You know believe that God's going to bring people in. Believe that this will work. Believe, it doesn't matter what's gone on before. I don't know why we haven't been able to draw people. But I know that God wants us to. He hasn't changed. So we need to get about it and get consistent in it. Start thanking God. When you have time at your house, thank God for the new souls that are coming in. Don't wait until you get here to start thinking about it. Be on the job all the time for what God wants to do. And God will bless and God will heal. God will deliver. God will bring what we need. He brought Sarah that son and everybody laughed. You know God said well y'all want to laugh have a good one because he's here. Amen. He laughed at him all day long. His name was Isaac. It meant laughter. It didn't mean a joke. It meant laughter. Amen. And so God brought laughter to them. Joy is for overcoming. There's a reason. He called him Isaac. Amen. Because joy is for overcomers. They had overcome all the obstacles. They had overcome their uh, their native land. They had overcome the land of their birth. They had overcome separation. They had overcome wars. They had overcome famine. All of that stuff. And finally were in a position to receive by faith what God had for them. Amen. Alright. Well Father we thank you for your word and for understanding your word. Blessing. Bless us. Bless us now, Lord. According to your word. Let the blessing of of God fall on this people. Everybody assembled here, Father. Receive the blessing of God. Receive the assurance of God. Receive understanding that God has what you need stored up for you. And he's willing to release it to him. Just thank him for it. Lord, we thank you for the things that we're believing for. Thank you for every seat filled here. I thank you for husbands and wives, for family restoration. I thank you for children. I thank you for uh, family reconciliation. Seeing all everybody in the household saved. I thank you for that. Thank you for a strong witness for us in this area, in this neighborhood. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen and praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up.